It's the early 70s in Biloxi, Mississippi. Kirk C. Nix has just been convicted of murder and has begun a life sentence without possibility of parole. While this sounds like the end of a life of crime, it's quite the opposite. Nix would go on to continue running his gang from prison, orchestrate a hit on a local judge and his wife, and even target and scam gay men out of their money over the phone. A man unafraid of the law and willing to do whatever he felt was necessary to get what he wanted. He had the audacity to get rid of a car that he had used in an ambush on law enforcement, a very famous case. His dad drove it to the courthouse in Oklahoma, and Kirksey literally blew it up in front of the courthouse. So we're talking about someone who has some serious tenacity, was not afraid of law enforcement. This is Mafia. Kirksey Nix was born in 1943 as the son of a judge in Mississippi. But his government relation didn't seem to sway him in the direction of law and order. Instead, Nix always had problems and was always getting into trouble. Sonova Cantrell is a blogger and crime author based out of the Southwest Missouri area. She has devoted her life to finding out the truth about various mafia-related crimes with the intention of advocating for victims' families. Kirksey Nix was the son of a uh, Oklahoma judge. He used that to his advantage, of course, and his dad actually would vacation. He would vacation in Biloxi, Mississippi, and he just kind of fell in love with the coast and the casinos and that type of life, and he became friends with a lot of people that would be later identified as the Dixie Mafia. So Kirksey Nix kind of was raised in that area. He spent a short time at a military base in uh, Mississippi, and then he ended up going and started working pretty early off with the Dixie Mafia. The Dixie Mafia is a South Mississippi-based gang that is still around today, but peaked between the 1960s and 1980s. Operating out of the town of Biloxi, many other criminals found a home in the town with a history of debauchery, including illegal gambling and local strip clubs. Unlike most other crime families, this group did not function as a family or with a set chain of command. There were no dons or capos, as with the Italian families, and no formal structure. So, Kirksey Nix is considered the kingpin of the Dixie Mafia, but he is not the only one. So, there were a lot of people in the Dixie Mafia. The way I look at it, and the best way I can find to describe the Dixie Mafia, is a freelance band of criminals and so they would work together with whatever type of crime they wanted to commit they would call whoever was specialized in that type of crime and Kirksey Nix was one of the main ones he is considered one of the heads of it now because he is basically one of the last surviving members of the original group the Dixie Mafia, it is arranged differently than the Italians. We have come to know that they have they have bosses and underbosses and they have captains and then they have crew members and they have associates and so it's very it's ranked up in a hierarchy like a business. Well, the Dixie Mafia during this time they weren't arranged that way. You actually got more clout, you actually might say you moved up the ranks 
solely by how long you survived. The Dixie Mafia relied on the specialized skills of all its members. They were a string of traveling criminals. I've talked to some law enforcement who said that they were working on their Dixie Mafia cases in Dallas, and he said it was all about credit card fraud. When credit cards were brand new, they were real easy to manipulate and, and steal, and, and so it was all around credit card fraud. If you look in, in other states, in Arkansas and places like that, it was all about running drugs. And so each area had their own little area of expertise. So that's kind of the way the Dixies were. Even though the Dixies were not quite the same as other Italian mob organizations, there were a few members that saw themselves as important figures and wanted to appear that way to others. Now, they started out as a group called the State Line Mob. There was one main character in the State Line Mob that actually kind of transferred into what would later be called the Dixie Mafia. His name was Towhead White, Carl Douglas White, and they called him Towhead. We, we know quite a bit about him, but as a teenager, he actually was a driver for an Italian mob boss, Carlos Marcello. And so he was one of the few Dixie Mafia members that actually carried himself like an Italian mob boss. He, you know, he dressed to the nines, he drove the Cadillacs, he carried himself like a mafioso as we know them. Dixie Mafia, most of those members, they were, they looked like a bunch of down-home good old boys, and they weren't somebody that you would really look at and immediately think, oh, they're part of some kind of organized crime family. They were very, very Southern, very, just looked like normal, you know, Southern country people that didn't look like they had, you know, millions of dollars in the bank, or they were running some kind of illegal fraud campaign. But uh, they, they were kind of a little more, they weren't as visible as, as the Italian gangsters. But I will tell you, the Dixie Mafia, they were really quite a bit more violent than the Italian Mafia. And the reason being is the Italian Mafia, they have specific rules that they would break from occasion, but they had specific rules. You wasn't supposed to mess with a made man's wife. You weren't supposed to kill any public figure because that would bring on too much heat from law enforcement. You know, they had different rules like that that really was just to benefit the family and the organization. The Italians um, and the Dixies were completely opposite in that fact. The Dixie Mafia, they, if they wanted your woman, if they wanted your business, they would take it. You basically defended yourself by your, your money, your stature, your firepower, your grit. Nix and his group of thugs had no qualms with robbing and committing murder. Not even children were safe. He and his team robbed a Boy Scout army training camp. It was one of those things that kind of prepare you to go into the army. They robbed that, got a whole bunch of guns out. Kirksey Nix was supposedly the one that Towhead White gave the orders to to hit the Sheriff Buford Pusser and his wife. They ambushed them on New Hope Road, ended up killing his wife, severely disfiguring the sheriff's face. At the time of the attack on the Pusser couple, Nix was thought to have been employed by Daryl Ward in Clarksville, Texas. Interestingly, Ward was a known associate of Chicago-based Italian gangster Sam Giancana. Ward was a bootlegger and was thought to have connections to organized crime in the state as well. Survival was very important, 
as there was no extra protection afforded to its members. It was every man for himself. You survived by your grit, your firepower, and the connections that you have. So with the Dixie Mafia, they called them the traveling criminals to begin with because they, at first, law enforcement and the news media, they didn't realize that they were all connected. So you would have a string of highly planned, highly organized robberies in one state, and then all of a sudden, a few days later, three states away, you would have another string of high-profile robberies, and bank robberies, home invasions, all these things, and they were always really planned, like they were, they were military precision type things. And so eventually, law enforcement realized that these were all the same crew, and in that crew was Kirksey Nix. And during one of their big home invasions, that is when he got shot by the homeowner, and he carried himself out, he walked himself out, and he went to a state away, went to a hospital, and still to this day refuses to let them remove the bullet from his chest because he knows that it's evidence and there's no statute of limitations on murder. So he just walks around with a bullet in his chest because he's like, you can't have it. It's in me. You can't have it. You need this evidence too bad. Now, Kirksey Nix was actually caught after he was shot. Frank Corso, they robbed his house. His wife screamed and he came out shooting and he actually shot Kirksey Nix. And he shot back. Frank Corso died a few moments after midnight um, that Sunday morning. Kirksey Nix and his crew they fled. Kirksey Nix ran down to Texas and went into a hospital, and they they found him there anyways, even though he had fled several states away. He still got arrested and was charged, and there was enough evidence that they put him away for Frank Corso's murder. Even though he was now serving a life sentence, Nix wasn't quite ready to give up being a free man and he had a sick idea to regain some of that lost freedom. Kirksey Nix had been put away for life, but he wasn't going to let that stop him from trying to get out. He had a plan in place to buy his way out of jail, and it was certainly unexpected fast forward to the 80s, he was in Angola prison. He was running a scam against the local gay community. He had what they called a sweetheart scam. He would write letters and and get these pen pals of lonely gay men and he would act and some of his associates in the prison would act like young gay men that had been wrongly accused and he would plead on their you know pull on their heartstrings and say this is so unfair I'm just arrested because of of my sexuality and you know and he would make them feel sorry for him and then they would start sending in money the plan worked like this Prison inmates would secretly pay off guards to use prison telephones and would place false ads in known gay magazines. The men who would answer these fake ads would get letters from the inmates, including risque photos to really sell the idea. The inmates would then ask for money for various reasons, and the money would be sent to a location to be collected by a trusted associate. At the end of the scam, Sometimes the victims would be told the truth about who they were corresponding with, and then threatened into sending even more money. 
lest the inmate they were speaking to out him to his friends and family. According to FBI.gov, retired FBI agent Keith Bell says, men from all walks of life, professors, mail carriers, politicians, fell victim to the scam. One guy in Kansas mortgaged his house and sent $30,000 to the scammers over a period of months. The plan went off without a hitch. Nix was trying to buy his way out of prison. He just found a vulnerable group of people that he thought he could take advantage of, and he had no compulsion about doing that. You know, he he would take advantage of anyone, and he found a way to pull on their heartstrings, and he thought if he could get enough money, he could buy himself out of it. And at the time, it may have been possible to do that because he had so many connections back in the 80s and he had enough political clout, you know, because he was working with with some judges and things like that. So back in the 80s, he may have been able to buy his way out. The money started coming in and Nix had a plan set in place to collect. The story was, I need help getting an attorney, I need help for this fee, for that fee, and he scammed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars from these poor people, and he had several outside connections that were taking care of the money and shipping money back and forth for him, and one of them happened to be Pete Halat. Now, Pete Halat actually ended up running for mayor of Biloxi, and he actually won. And so for a while, while he was being investigated, he was the mayor of Biloxi, Mississippi. Everything was going according to plan, until Nick started noticing some money missing. He had a feeling that it was Halat's law partner, Judge Vincent Sherry. The public story was Judge Sherry and Pete Halat had worked together as law partners. Well, Pete Halat had started stealing some of the money from Kirksey Nix. And the plan was they were going to put the money in a safe deposit box for Kirksey Nix. Pete Halat started stealing some of the money and all of a sudden Nix found out that a few hundred thousand dollars were missing from his fund that he had stolen from these people. So somebody had to pay and somebody had to die for this and Pete Halat blamed it on Judge Sherry. Now, as far as we can tell, there was, Judge Sherry had no corruption, wasn't corrupt in any way, but Pete Halat had transferred this money from the safe deposit box that was the one they had used. He transferred it to a safe deposit box that only had his name and Judge Sherry's name on it. Now, that was a ploy to trick Kirksey Nix into believing that Judge Sherry actually stole the money. It had been decided. Nix would arrange for someone in his gang to take out Judge Sherry, and for good measure, his wife as well. A hit was ordered. Judge Sherry and his wife, Margaret, were both killed in their home late one evening, and that is actually the case that brought the Dixie Mafia into the media spotlight. Up until then, they had spent decades flying under the radar. Nobody publicly wanted to admit that there was such a thing as organized crime in the South. It was kind of like the Italian Mafia back in, you know, J. Edgar Hoover's day. The curtain had officially been drawn back on the Dixie Mafia. There was no more hiding in plain sight. That case was eventually supposedly solved. Kirksey Nix and Pete Halat and a few others were indicted on a few things. Pete Halat ended up scathing by by the skin of his teeth. 
he ended up getting some time in prison for some different corruption things, but he's never actually been charged with the murder of Judge Sherry, even though there's a lot of people around who think that he actually was the one that actively hired the hit. And I actually had some people reach out to me that they believe that Kirksey Nix was actually just used as a pawn. Since he was already in prison for life, that they just blamed it on him and he took it. I haven't been able to get any response back from Kirksey to find out if that's true. He told Phyllis, who is the person I wrote about in Silence by the Dixie Mafia, that if that was the case, he wouldn't talk about it anyways. That's just the code he lives by. Getting any answers out of him, I don't look forward to any deathbed confessions from him. Quite frankly, if somebody is stubborn enough to run around with a bullet in their chest for the rest of their life, I don't think they're going to talk to some writer and say, hey, here's what I did and spill their guts to me. Nix was known for the power he held in the group, which is seen through the Dixies still willing to work for him, even when he was behind bars. Kirksey Nix still had connections, and I still believe he probably still has some. He had enough connections to where he could run his scams through Biloxi without any trouble because he he was running with people like Mike Gillick, and Mike Gillick was a local. He owned a strip club and a couple, maybe a couple bars or something in Biloxi, Mississippi. And uh, then, of course, he had connections with Pete Halat, which was, you know, the legal connections. And so they still consider him a kingpin. So what happened to the Dixies? If they were so successful, why is it that we don't hear about them today? Right now, the Dixie Mafia, they say, officially has been kind of disbanded as of 2003, and it's moved on into something else. I've had people ask me if they think that the Dixie Mafia still exists. I say yes and no. I think they're probably flying a different flag, you know, running a different name. But all of those corruption, all of those channels were open since back in the Prohibition era. So these people were running moonshine and they had their connections from, from border to border. And then we seen them actively, once Prohibition ended, we seen them actively change into running drugs and running other illegal activities. So the way I look at it, if they changed once, what's keeping them from changing again? I think all of those, all of those channels of corruption are probably still there. They're just running under a different name now. When you hear about all the stunts Nix and the Dixies pulled, you might think it's hard to believe that no one tried to stop them. But as with other organized crime families, it's hard to pinpoint exactly where the crime originates, especially in this situation, where there's no laid-out hierarchy. It would be possible to stop the uh, maybe individuals, but the corruption in itself when someone says a grassroots network, that's exactly the way I look at the Dixie Mafia. They're a grassroots network. You can't pull up one blade of grass out of your lawn. If you're wanting to get the roots, you pull up a whole bunch. And and that's kind of the way it is. I believe that there's so much out there corruption and things in this network of criminals that it's going to be really hard to completely wipe it off the face of the earth. Just like I don't think you'll ever get rid of the Italian Mafia. You can disable it, but you'll always need law enforcement of some sort to combat that. I don't think that the corruption will ever completely go away. In the end, Kirksey Nix controlled a lot of people, a lot of power, 
and made a living off of his criminal empire. But that will not be getting him out of prison anytime soon. The money he made through his lonely heart scam did not buy his way out of jail, where he currently sits with a life sentence. I do believe that he will probably spend the rest of his life in prison. There are some rumors that he may possibly be able to finagle his way out. I hope not. Some people say, well, he's too old to be a menace to society. I don't believe that. I believe that he and the connections he has left are still dangerous. I believe that there are still people out there that may run under a different name other than the Dixie Mafia, but I do believe the corruption is still there. And so it may not sound very nice or politically correct, but I hope he spends the rest of his days behind bars. I think he's right exactly where he needs to be. This has been Mafia, an Audioboom original series, hosted by me, Fleet Cooper. This show is produced by Audioboom's Lauren Vogel, Blair Payton, Pam Burrows, Karen Bevan, and Rachel Jacobs. Executive producers for Audioboom are Brendan Regan and Stuart Last. Special thanks to Sonova Cantrell for providing expert insight for this episode. Follow Mafia on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Next time on Mafia, Frank Nitti, an Italian-born, Chicago-based gangster with ties to Al Capone and a no-nonsense attitude when it came to doing his job. When Nitti joined the outfit and he became involved under Al Capone, one of his primary duties was he was a collector. People owed debts. And it was Frank Nitti's job to, to recover that money. If people didn't pay, they got one warning. And then if they didn't pay, he sent a collection squad to address the situation. Nitti's rise through the ranks came after he was imprisoned with Capone for tax evasion. But he got out much sooner than his associate. One thing that Nitty brought to the job was he was not as high profile of an individual. The second thing that he did was he really worked to diversify the outfit's crime portfolio. Before, they were pretty much focused on vice, liquor, gambling, and prostitution. Nitty got involved, got the outfit involved in extortion, labor racketeering, dog racing tracks. Certain people who saw his rise to power were willing to do anything to get him out of the way. Lang was paid by the mayor $15,000 to execute Frank Nitti. I mean, this is how corrupt politics and, and policing were in Chicago at the time, that the mayor would somehow sanction an assassination in order to advance his cause of fighting crime in Chicago. 